Let me share with you personally the word of regret from Harry and Martha Hampshire and their inability to be with us today. But come crossing Mont Eagle between Chattanooga and Nashville is a, is a problem in itself. And the possibility of the difficulties there, only one lane across that mountain operating, and then the returning back today in preparation for leaving for their post in Lisbon tomorrow with the uncertainties of the Atlanta airport, which was closed at last hearing. And uh, so there were some difficulties. They regretted very much not being here to share with you. And I regret it because of deep friendship across the years and our joy of serving together. A little while ago, we sang hymn number 13. Turn to it again, please. In the second verse of that familiar hymn, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I am come. How many times have you uh, Personally, do you suppose, how many times have you sung that particular hymn and that particular verse? Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Good many times? Now, who would like to stand and share with us exactly what you meant when you sang, Here I raise mine Ebenezer? Hymns are wonderful things. I, I love our hymns. Occasionally there are lines like that. There's, always, there's a scripture reference, you'll note. Uh, there, there's an asterisk because the hymn writer assumed that we just might not know what he was talking about. And so there's a scripture reference there uh, at the bottom. Now I'd like to ask you too, how many of you have looked up the reference? Uh, here I raise mine Ebenezer. Uh, well, we sing it uh, sometimes with gusto, sometimes... Uh, quietly, sometimes we mumble those words, but uh, that particular line, here I raise mine Ebenezer, has reference to one of the most brilliant and remarkable and interesting stories of all the Old Testament. You'll notice that the scripture reference is out of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, the 7th chapter and the 12th verse. In order to give us the background for that, I want to start reading at the last verse of the 6th chapter and then read down through that 12th verse. And I'm sharing this morning again from the New International Version. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord, and they took it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to guard the ark of the Lord. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, 
Then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asteroids and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and their Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. And when they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. And they said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf. And the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shane. And he called it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. And so the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again. This morning, we're talking about old Ebenezer. Ebenezer was not a man, as the text tells us. He was a rock, a stone. But though he was not a man, he was a great preacher. And old Ebenezer stood at that place where Samuel had placed him, 
And he preached a marvelous message to those who passed by year upon year. He never spoke a word, never sang a song, never uttered a prayer. And yet the very presence of that stone called Ebenezer was a message to the people of Israel and a message to the enemies of Israel that God still lives. How did he happen to be there? The scripture that I have read gives us a part of the answer. But to get the whole story, we have to go back 20 years earlier. 20 years earlier, at that same spot where Samuel put that stone and called that stone Ebenezer, the children of Israel had gone out to do battle against the Philistines. They thought that simply having the presence of the ark with them would be sufficient for God's protection and they would surely be the victors. But they discovered that because they went out literally trusting in themselves rather than in God, it was there that they lost that battle. And the fields ran with blood. 30,000 men died. It's always bad when one dies or two or ten or a dozen. But when it's a thousand, it's a slaughter. And when it's 5,000, it's terrible. And 20,000, it's a massacre. And 30,000 died out in those fields. And Israel lost that battle. They not only lost the battle, but they lost that ark that vessel that contained those holy objects that God had appointed to be in it, that would be for them a reminder that he was their God. At the second battle, or at that same place, after appropriate preparation, they fought the Philistines again. And this time, 20 years later, they were victorious. The first time, they relied on themselves. The second time, they trusted in the power and in the arm of God. And God did not fail them, and they were victorious. And so Samuel raised that old stone preacher, Ebenezer, to be a reminder to the people of the presence of God, the power of God, and what it means to go about life without God giving his direction and his way. Old Ebenezer, the stone preacher, what do you suppose would be some of the points in his sermon as the folks would gather by and look at him and remember the events of the battles that had taken place on that very spot. One of the points in his sermon surely would have been this. You cannot win victories 
by being negative. You cannot accomplish great things and be victorious in the struggle of life if you are negative or pessimistic in your outlook. Thirty years prior, twenty years prior, Eli had been the religious leader of the people. And somehow or other, Eli believed that because he was not simply openly and outwardly and avertedly evil, he was therefore good. But such was not the case. His was a religion of negatives. The great sins of his life were the sins of omission. I'm afraid that as we listen to Ebenezer preach to us, we have to admit that for the most of us, that the great sins of our lives are not those overt sins that are gross and ugly and condemning, but rather those sins of omission, those things that we ought to do that we do not do, those influences for Christ that we ought to have that we do not have, all of those things that we ought to get around to doing someday, sometime, that we never quite get programmed into our lives. Ours like Eli, for the most part, the sins of omission. We must learn that we must be aggressively good in order to win spiritual battles. Just to be indifferent, just to be unconcerned, to say, well, I'll not be a hindrance, I'll not get in the way, I'll not put a break on what God is seeking to do in Jackson, that's not enough. For if we, as a people, as his family of faith, are to be victorious in the task and the mission that he has given us to do in this place, then there must be a planned, aggressive goodness. The Byron has shared this morning two such examples of positive and aggressive goodness in reaching out and touching the lives of others. The wonderful, the magnificent portrayal about all the things that concern Christmas in the living Christmas tree and all of the work that all of you put into that is a representative of that which is aggressively good, seeking to share the story of Jesus with the world. Samuel followed Eli. And where Eli had been so guilty of the gross sins of omission, Samuel comes along and is aggressively good. He struck at the very root of the trouble. He was a lone man facing an entire nation, reminding them of their sin, reminding them of their evil, reminding them that they had turned aside from God, that they were worshiping the Baal. Now, you'll notice in the Old Testament that's always spelled B-A-A-L, false gods. The Israelites so often found it so convenient to worship the Baals and the Astaroths, 
You say, well, we don't have anything like that today. Oh, yes, we do. We spell it differently, though. We spell it today B-A-L-L, ball. We have worshipers of football and worshipers of baseball and worshipers of basketball and worshipers of, of all kinds. of. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Oh, listen, there's great sacrifice of time and the investment of life that's put in in front of those, that grove, that little box that's there in the den or in the, in the living room or in the bedroom where may, so many millions in America worship the great God Ball. Say, well, that's being sort of silly. No, it's not. Anything that we invest a great deal of our lives and our energy and our thought, that where we spend so much time that other things are not attended to that could be done for the glory of God, that becomes that which we worship. And there are many who worship the great God Baal. In that day, it was the great God Baal that was worshipped. Samuel threw expediency aside, like the gospel of Jesus. Samuel did not strike out at just the surface things, but rather going right straight to the root of things. And so the message, one of the messages of Ebenezer, the stone preacher at that spot where 20 years prior the nation had lost a battle and lost the ark, and now 20 years later, they had gained it. We have the lesson that you cannot be negative. You cannot be pessimistic. You cannot do it in your own way and be victorious in the things that really matter, that really count in life. Old Ebenezer would say, as he preached his silent sermon there by the side of the road, old Ebenezer would say to them and say to us, you cannot win without God. Twenty years before, on that very spot, the cornfields were drenched in the blood of 30,000 men. Why such a disaster? Because the leaders were corrupt. Hophni and Phinehas had the form of religion, but not the heart of it. And as a result of that, defeat came. And then at that very same place where 20 years before they had failed and lost, now under the leadership of God's man, the godly Samuel, now out of prayer, now because of their repentance, now they turned to God and they depended upon God where 20 years before they had been depending upon themselves. And now, as God caused thunder to drive the Philistines literally mad, the children of Israel went out. There, they had a victory. You see, Ebenezer is saying to all of those who walk past him, and to us every time we sing the second verse of hymn number 13, here I raise mine Ebenezer. Remember that it is the place then where victory can come. Victory as it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Old Ebenezer would remind them of this. That it is at the very place 
where you were defeated, you can have your most glorious victory. At the very place where you stumble and go down, if you will be right with God, if you will get right with God, if you will trust in God, if you will follow God, then God indeed will raise up a marvelous victory. The very place of your personal defeat spiritually or in any arena of your life, the very place where you have been defeated can be, says old Ebenezer, can be the place where you can be victorious and live for Jesus. But repentance must take place and confession must take place and consecration must take place for that to happen. For now, at the end of this 20-year period, now, as the children of Israel have gathered, they pray unto Samuel. They beseech Samuel, and they say, pray to God for us. And he said, I'll pray to God for you, but you've got to do something. You've got to turn aside from your Baals and from your Astaroth, and you must repent you must confess your sins and you must consecrate yourself for the task. And the people did it. And because they did it, God then sent the thunder that sent the Philistines, the enemy, into scattered array. And the children of Israel were able to have the victory. There is this that old Ebenezer would say to them. Defeat may even help to gain the ultimate victory. In their defeat, as horrible as it was, the slaughter of 30,000, the destruction of the ark, or at least its capture, taken away, that was worse than destruction. The ark of the covenant by the Philistines. That horrible experience that was theirs in defeat. A military defeat. A physical defeat. A moral defeat. A spiritual defeat. There at the very place of their defeat there they learned to realize at that very same spot they could have victory for in defeat God taught them an invaluable lesson the lesson of their weakness you say but God wants us to be strong God wants us to be tall and strong and sure. Of course he does. But he promises that tallness and that strength and that vitality as we walk with him and as we depend on him and as we draw our strength out of his strength. Over and over again, the apostle Paul who takes us from spiritual victory to spiritual victory. He says to us again 
and again and again that as we submit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit of God, then it is that we become Christian giants able to subdue a world. And so it is that defeat itself, though never a welcome guest in any of our homes or any of our hearts, that defeat can help us and lead us to gain victory. Old Ebenezer was quite a preacher. And I think that he said to those who walked down that road, and he has said it across the centuries, and he says it this morning in the First Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Don't stop until the victory is won. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning, personally and individually in your life. But God is saying to you through that old stone preacher, Ebenezer, here's the place. Now's the time. Fight it out to the finish. Maybe you see you're at that spot in your own life today where an Ebenezer stone could be placed. Fighting an old enemy, selfishness, struggling to make a decision as to whether or not you're going to live your life for yourself, your own plans, your own dreams, your own hopes, your own visions, or whether you're going to let God into your life, whether you're going to let Jesus become the model, the way you think and the way you act and the way you do and the way you give and the way you love. Oh, we all have old enemies, and all too often we lose the battle. I could bore you to tears with some of the lost battles in my own life, but I exalt the name of Jesus that in him he has brought victory. And so many of the same places where there had been a defeat. What is that besetting sin that plagued you? Temper? Gossip? Lying? Cheating? Immoralities? It is at the place where you have lost a battle that old Ebenezer says, don't you stop. Victory is right out in front. Repent. Surrender. Recommit. Consecrate yourself to serve. Where you failed, there, enjoy the victory. Where there's been disappointment, that same spot, we raise anew the flag 
of the Savior. Where at any point in your life, old Ebenezer, the stone preacher, says to you, to every one of you, to every one of you, to every one of you, to me, old Ebenezer says, don't stop. Don't give up. Keep on with renewed faith until the end. And so, when you sing hymn number 13, here I raise mine Ebenezer. I hope you'll remember the old stone preacher who says, be positive. Who says, where you lost, you can win. The old stone preacher who says, I'll make you strong where you've been weak. Let's walk together in Christian faith. For our invitation hymn this morning, I want us, Bob, if we will, to sing 13 again. And this time when you sing that second verse, think about your own life any changes that need to be made in your head, in your heart. The invitation has been given and the response has begun here at First Baptist. We hope this service has been a blessing to you. If it has, we would appreciate hearing about it. Address all correspondence to First Baptist Church, 1627 North Highland Avenue, Jackson, Tennessee, 38301. When you write, be sure to include the date of today's service. As our way of expressing appreciation for your worshiping with us, we will send you a free cassette tape of today's message. That address again is First Baptist Church, 1627 North Highland Avenue, Jackson, Tennessee, 38301.